Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I don't know what to make of these polls. But there's a polling group that literally just came out. It's called Political Polls, P-Polling Numbers. Uh, And it's looking at Michigan. And so it does these state polls. It's a brand new Michigan poll. I don't know all the data behind it. It has Trump at 48%, Biden at 45%, the Libertarian at 2%. And they looked at likely voters. Now, I know we all want to grab onto that thing. I don't know if it's accurate or not. I feel it's right, but I don't know. So we got to keep voting. Heavy duty. There was a poll that came out earlier today in Wisconsin. Had Trump up by one. Who knows? But it is tightening, and it's tightening because of you. 50 million people will have voted by tomorrow night. That's only one-third of the total of electorate. It's a lot of people. But there could be 150 million people who vote in total. And so many of you have not voted. It's very important, particularly if you can go in person, that you do so. Now remember our rule here, right? Remember what we're trying to do. We've been doing this for six weeks now. Six weeks. Every day. You're the Thomas Paines. You can repeat it yourself. You're the Paul Revere's. It's very, very important that not only you vote and your spouse vote and so forth, that you you help get five to ten other people to vote. It's very, very important. And then we will crush them. It won't matter what they do on election day. Very, very important. 
And I have a couple of things I want to talk about. We will have the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, on Sunday's Life, Liberty, and Levin, scheduled for 8 p.m. Eastern. Now, look, if the president's doing a rally, they may or may not take the rally. And then we're pushed to 10 p.m. And you did follow us this past Sunday. We had a huge audience. Over 2.5 million people. That's very big. Sunday night, they never had these numbers before. Over there at our, our Fox channel. But we'll have the vice president the entire hour. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. As he makes the closing case for the campaign. And the final show that I do, it's going to be a special. The weekend after next, it's going to be airing on Saturday because on Sunday they're going to have the usual Monday crew on Sunday, which is what they do before every presidential election, I am told. But it's going to be a very extraordinary and special edition, the last edition before the election. Very important. I have a question to ask you, and I want to underscore this point. Why... Is there not enough discussion about Joe Biden's taxes? Now, I know he didn't earn anything close to what Donald Trump earned and all the rest of it, but why hasn't there been a discussion about Joe Biden's taxes? Christopher Jacobs has written about this, and I've told you about this before in the Wall Street Journal. He wrote about it in The Federalist a couple of uh, days back. It was ignored by the moderator in the first debate. It will likely be ignored by the moderator in this debate. But it must not be ignored. And as a matter of fact, if Joe Biden again brings up the president's taxes and says he only paid $750 in federal income taxes, and I want to remind you folks, I want to remind you folks that he paid the alternative minimum tax tens of millions of dollars. I think it was $24 million. So they never say to him, how much did you pay in federal taxes? They always say, how much did you pay in the federal income tax? There are years when I've had to pay the federal um, minimum tax. There's years other people have had to do the same thing. That's the law. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way it is. So it's very sleazy what they're doing. But here's what I'm hoping. That the president says, you know what, Joe? I'm glad you brought up taxes. Now I want to talk about your taxes. Here's what it says. Since the vice president left government service in early 2017, the Bidens funneled their income from book royalties and speaking fees, almost $15 million, through two corporations, Celtic Capri Corporation and Gicapa Corporation. They paid themselves modest salaries through the corporations on which they paid full Social Security and Medicare taxes. The Bidens took most of this book and speech income, over $13.5 million. It's quite a lunch bucket, Joe. Not as wages, but as profits from the two corporations. So in other words, they set up what's called an S-corporation. Now why did they do that? Taking that income as corporate profits, ready? Allowed them to avoid payroll taxes on the $13.5 million. So not taking it as personal income, but setting up these corporations and then treating it as profits significantly reduced their payroll taxes on $13.5 million. Because Social Security taxes only applied to the first $132,900 of income, the Bidens didn't avoid paying the taxes that fund that program. 
But the 2.9% Medicare tax that applies to all income and the 0.9% high income tax credit of the Obamacare bill applies to all wages and income over $200,000. For an individual, $200,000. For a family, over $250,000. So taking their income as corporate profits rather than personal income allowed the Bidens to avoid paying this combined 3.8% payroll tax on more than $13.5 million in income they received from 2017 and 2019. That's a lot of money. That's almost $400,000. And it says here in 2017, that saved them $381,852. And in 2018, it saved them $122,997. So in other words... Half a million dollars. The total for three years was $513,540. That's a staggering amount that the Bidens did not pay in Medicare taxes and Obamacare taxes. $513,540,000. If they had paid as individuals, over half a million dollars would have been paid into these programs that need the money. These programs that need the money. I mean, if you're going to create Obamacare as vice president of the United States, if you're going to defend it, if you say it only it covers pre-existing conditions and you can't have the Supreme Court knocking it out, well, you've got to help fund it, right, ladies and gentlemen? And if you say you support Medicare and you say you're going to actually reduce the age from 65 to 60, which, by the way, will kill Medicare, but okay, but that's what he says he wants to do. Yet he avoid paying over half a million dollars over three years into Medicare and Obamacare. Now, why isn't this on the Fox News channel? Why isn't this on CNN News? Why isn't this on MSNBC News? You see, I'm not attacking Fox per se. I'm saying all these newsrooms and news departments ought to be talking about it. Why isn't Media Matters reporting this or Mediate reporting this? Forget the Drudge Report. He's in the tank. And so Jacobs goes on, even as he released another set of tax returns showing his continued willingness to circumvent Obamacare taxes. The Biden campaign continues to run ads in which Biden claims Obamacare is, quote, personal to me, unquote. Democrats want to run on the law this fall, believing that fears over the Obamacare lawsuit pending at the Supreme Court will motivate their voters. But how personal can Obamacare be to the Bidens if they went out of their way to avoid paying Obamacare taxes. Likewise, the Democrats attempting to subpoena Trump's tax returns should answer a simple question. If they want those returns for nonpartisan oversight purposes, why haven't they called for an IRS audit of Biden's taxes? Particularly in 2017, Biden paid himself a paltry salary compared to the $10 million in corporate profits he received, an arrangement that might well violate IRS compensation guidelines. Why? Because, again, on that salary, he has to make those payroll tax payments. So if he minimizes his salary, he treats most of it as profit, he avoids paying most uh, Obamacare and uh, Medicare. The deafening silence from the liberal media notwithstanding, the real questions about Biden's taxes won't go away, nor should they. The American people have a right to know from middle-class Joe himself, 
why he put his own financial interest over a law he supposedly personally cares about so much. This is Christopher Jacobs and TheFederalist.com, September 30. So let me cut through it and make it really simple so even Joe Scarborough can understand. For nearly three years, the Bidens set up two companies to wash through their income rather than treating it as individual income. They did that for one reason and one reason only, to avoid paying over half a million dollars in Medicare and Obamacare payroll taxes. Now, do you want to know why most of the people in the media won't criticize this, Mr. Producer? Because many of them are doing exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. The wealthier they are, the more they're doing it. So they should be asked if they're doing it. Now that I've brought this up with a moderator from NBC News, whatever the hell her name is, Weaker, Werner, whatever, I just gave her some information that's not been used yet at a national level. And the question goes like this, Madam Moderator. Mr. Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden, you talk about the president's taxes. Let me talk about yours for a moment. Very brief question. You set up two corporations, S-corporations, in order to pay yourselves modest salaries, but to treat income you earn from speeches and books, almost $15 million, as profits. And you did that for one reason and one reason only, to avoid paying over half a million dollars in Medicare and Obamacare taxes. You say these two programs mean a great deal to you. You say you want to expand Medicare. You say you want to defend Obamacare from the Supreme Court, and yet you didn't pay your fair amount, and in some cases, any amount, to help support these programs. Can you explain yourself, please? Would that take 30 seconds, Mr. Producer? So what's going to happen? Will he be asked about it, ladies and gentlemen? I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. Man, if we only had an honest press, can you imagine? The country would be so much better off. Just so much better off. 
Well, we have a New York Times piece. This is how the New York Times works. So they plant this piece Wednesday, hoping it'll come up Thursday during the debates. This is what they do. It's like the Bob Woodward book and so forth. You need to understand what the New York Times is. The New York Times is a Soviet-type media corporation. It supports the Democrats. It supports the bureaucracy. It supports the progressive, a.k.a. the Marxist movement in this country. That's what it is. As such, is of the hard left, and so it's highly bigoted and highly anti-Semitic. New York Times headline. Trump records records shed new light on Chinese business pursuits. It's a stupid article. Talks about his interest in China, taxes he paid in China. I mean, a lot of major corporations are doing this and have done this. Bloomberg, I can go on and on and on. Feinstein, nothing nefarious, nothing wrong, nothing even big. Nothing even major. But it's a long article. You know, top-of-the-line article. You really got to look at it. My God. Unbelievable. He paid over $100,000 in taxes to the Chinese government. Big deal. No violations of anything. So they put this out there for the Biden campaign because tomorrow night, if Hunter Biden comes up, Joe Biden will have a one-liner. Well, what about you? You invested in China. You paid more taxes in China than you did to the United States government. Now, I've already explained to you how that's not the case. I've already explained to you that that's a flat-out lie because of the Alternative minimum tax where the president paid around $24 million, but it won't matter. So I'll have this one-liner, but who cares? He should dismiss Biden, dismiss the New York Times, and make his case. That Joe Biden does not contribute money to Obamacare and to Medicare. And that's a big deal for a guy who claims to support them. And not only that, folks, he expects to to spend another $4 trillion in our taxes. $4 trillion in our taxes. Trump's not looking to spend more of our taxes. He's looking to cut our taxes. But if you're a big government leftist, like Biden is and has become, and you want to spend all this money and massively increase taxes on truck drivers and Uber drivers and taxi drivers, massively increase taxes on electricians and plumbers and roofers, massively increase taxes on cops and firefighters and people who make this country work, then it seems to me you have an obligation to make a payroll tax contribution too. Lunch bucket. So this has nothing to do with Hunter Biden. The Hunter Biden issue is pay for play. That is, selling the vice president's office. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association 
dating way back to 1844. Commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, Levin for Hillsdale.com. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. You know, it shocks me even now. We have uh, really a few days before the election and it should be making you anxious and concerned. And Joe Biden is uh, studying for his debate, studying since Sunday. Now, let me tell you what they mean by studying. They mean trying to memorize his lies and one-liners, trying to, trying to figure out how to get under the president's skin. You know, Joe Biden's been around a long time, and that's the goal, not to be substantive and not to give you answers. So in a two-minute period of time, you know, to tell as many lies and fibs and spin as much as he possibly can. And he's going to have a lot of help from this so-called moderator, who is a complete disaster. In fact, she's the worst of the bunch. She's the worst of the bunch. Um, Let's see here. I just had an article on her. Yeah, I'm posting it now, too. Kristen Welker is her name. Activist track record. Perfectly qualifies her for the anti-Trump debate commission, writes Tristan Justice. NBC News White House correspondent Kristen Welker possesses all the signature features of a Beltway reporter. An Ivy League graduate, East Coast native, and once registered Democrat, as far as public records show, who has spent nearly a decade living in the District of Columbia covering campaigns in the White House, made Welker 44 the perfect fit for the anti-Trump commission on presidential debates, to moderate the third and final matchup between Trump and Biden. Welker, however, whose well-established families donated thousands to uh, Democrats, uh, will be on stage Thursday night, has a long track record of antagonistic reporting on the Trump White House, perpetuating the Russia hoax, protecting the president's political opponents, and engaging the kind of Democratic-friendly D.C. media coverage that has become standard among the self-righteous journalists, which in turn has undermined the credibility of the industry. After all, she scored the endorsement of CNN's chief White House troll, Jim Acosta. He tweeted, I've worked alongside uh, Kristen during two administration now. She's the consummate professional, tough but fair. Looking forward to watching her moderate Thursday's debate. What an idiot. Mr. President, yes or no? Have you or are you now? Have you ever worked for Russia? Yes or no? Welker demanded during a January 2019 sparring match with the president. Just a a short two months later, Special Counsel Mueller would release his report concluding a more than two-year investigation that found that conspiracy theories accusing Trump of operating as a Kremlin agent were just that. Conspiracies and nothing more. In 2018, Welker also charged the president with giving Russian President Vladimir Putin the, quote, upper hand, unquote, during an overseas trip to Europe, where Trump challenged nations in NATO to pay their fair share. On the same trip, 
Welker accused the president of being, quote, hand-in-hand, unquote, with Putin. When it comes to the far left, four-member squad in the House of Representatives, including Ayakh, Omar, Talib, Presley, who are either self-proclaimed socialist or endorsed a socialist candidate. Welker has gone out of her way to downplay their extremism, calling them self-proclaimed progressives. They're not socialists, Welker said ahead of a 2019 Trump campaign event in North Carolina. They're not socialists. Oh, yes, they are. In fact, they're Marxists. And by the way, they're anti-Semites, Welker. It should come as no surprise, then, that Welker joined her colleagues in the mainstream media to endlessly characterize California Senator Kamala Harris, who possesses the most leftist voting record in the upper chamber, as a moderate. She's a moderate. Nothing about Harris's support for Medicare for All, the Green New Deal, spike tax increases, open borders, sanctuary cities, taxpayer-funded health care for illegal immigrants, late-term abortion, and a religious litmus test for Catholic judicial nominations screams moderate to Welker. Welker, of course, is not immune to the exhaustive wokeism now permeating the White House press corps. She's accused the president of launching his career on birthism, criticized the president for fanning the flames of the culture wars, and asked then-White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders repeatedly whether she could guarantee that the president never used the N-word. This is the moderator. When it comes to coverage of Biden, Welker has shown to be far more deferential raising further doubts about the debate moderator's impartiality going into Thursday night. This, of course, made Welker all the more attractive to the Commission on Presidential Debates, which has gone out of its way to protect Biden, just like the media. At issue this week is whether Welker will raise any questions to the Democrat nominee on stage involving the recent series of blockbuster revelations to emerge last week implicating Biden and his son Hunter's potentially criminal overseas business activities. Former Clinton White House Communications Director George Stephanopoulos completely ignored the scandal during ABC's town hall. And what about Biden's taxes? I just mentioned them. We didn't pay into Obamacare and Medicare. What about Biden's white supremacy and his racism early in his career? It's significant, and I'll get to that later in the program. A glimpse into Welker's past offers little reason to be optimistic. The NBC White House correspondent declared during the House impeachment proceedings in September last year that, quote, there's no evidence of wrongdoing by Biden, unquote. What a flunky. What an absolute flunky. By the way, I'm pleased to announce that Joni Ernst has gotten back to us. It turns out there was some communication difficulty. She will be coming on the program. The only one we have not heard from is Cory Gardner. Not even a response. Uh, but all the other folks who are in these tight race are coming on and will be coming on, as will additional members for the, for the House seats. Very, very important that we stay engaged. doesn't help my ratings. We lose people who don't want to hear about candidates. Uh, but we have to do what we have to do which is the right thing. Now, I'm loading up this first hour with information that you can use to get out your five or ten friends to make sure they vote. Crucially important. Crucially important. I don't even care what state you're in, particularly the battleground states, but all states. This is from hotair.com. This is very important. 
studies, fatality rates from COVID are dropping sharply everywhere. Hello? Hello? Fatality rates from COVID are dropping sharply everywhere. Now, I'm sure this Welker will bring this up to the vice president. From Allah Pundit, for the second straight day, a bright light shines through the gloom of darkening COVID outlook this fall. Yesterday, the good news was that fears of schools becoming mass incubators of coronavirus appear to be overblown. Positivity rates across a sample of tens of thousands of students and staff in New York City are minuscule. Maybe we can have safe in-class instruction this fall. Not according to the uh, teachers' union thugs. Like in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, which has like a population of 1.1 or 2 million, the teacher union thugs there, better known as the National Education Association affiliates, do not want in-person, in-school teaching until next year. Because we all know that our schools exist for the teachers and the unions. We all know our property taxes exist for the teachers and the unions. The hell with the children. And God only knows... These scholars and reports will come out in 5, 10, 20 years of what we're doing to this generation of kids. We're ruining them. But it also underscores how this massive education bureaucracy in this country is not needed. It's not needed. Let me continue. But today's news is even better. Listen, because... The Biden campaign is spending half a billion dollars up to the election, and they're getting billions of dollars in free media coverage trying to prove to you, or lie to you, that the president and the vice president have mishandled this virus when, in fact, they should be celebrated for everything they've done. As cases explode in Europe and climb towards a new peak in the United States, a tantalizingly mystery has emerged. Why aren't we seeing the same crushing death tolls and hot spots that we saw in the spring? Deaths are, are rising in Europe from their summer lows. But they're nowhere near the gory levels of April, even though both countries, that is the UK and France, are setting records in the number of daily cases. That's the UK and France. The trends in cases and deaths here in the United States also diverged a while ago. Now, the pessimistic theory of why deaths in Western countries haven't approached their spring peaks is that the number of infections during the spring was much, much greater than the meager testing available at the time. But there's a more optimistic theory, too. The fact is, a single health system finds that mortality is dropped among hospitalized patients. This is coming from National Pubic Radio, by the way. Two new studies. National Pubic Radio. That COVID has become less lethal. One study, which was of single health system, finds the mortality has dropped among hospitalized patients by nearly 18 points since the pandemic began. Patients in the study had a 25.6% chance of dying at the start of the pandemic, now 7.6%. So if death rates drop because of improvements in treatments, or is it because of the change in who's getting sick? Well, they took a look at this. The study uh, looked at over 5,000 hospitalizations in the NYU Lagone Health System between March and August, and they adjusted for factors including age and other diseases like diabetes to rule out the possibility that the numbers had dropped only because younger, healthier people were getting diagnosed. You know what they found? They found that death rates dropped for all groups, even older patients, by 18 percentage points on average. 
I would classify this as a silver lining to what has been quite a hard time for many people, says Bilal Mateen, a data science fellow at the Alan Turing Institute in the UK. There's no silver bullet explanation for the decline, researchers suspect. Partly it's a matter of doctors getting better at anticipating and, and so forth and so on. But in the United States, it has dropped significantly. Significantly. The mortality rate. I wonder if that'll get into the debate tomorrow, Mr. Producer. I'm raising issues that should be in the debate tomorrow. You know what's on the list? The moderator put on the list for debate issues? The coronavirus. Climate change. Race. Didn't we go through this in the first debate? I can understand the coronavirus. Why is climate change on there? Because she's pushing the hard left agenda aimed at the suburbs. You don't believe in climate change? It is science that climate change is an issue. I like the vice president's answer. You know what he said? You remember? He said, yes, there's climate change. The climate change is the issue is what's causing it, how much is taking place, uh, whether it's man-made, whether it's the sun, whatever it is. So the, the, that's not been resolved. I thought that was a brilliant answer. But why is it on the list? Not one issue of foreign policy is on the, issue, on the list. Not China. Gee, I wonder why. Not the Middle East where there's massive success. Gee, I wonder why. Not the Iran deal. Gee, I wonder why. The only way this issue, these issues will come up is if the president brings them up himself. But that shouldn't be the way this works. This was to be the third debate. There's no second debate because the moderator they picked was defective. He was a Democrat and then he lied about what he had, what he had tweeted. The first debate was a mess and I'm not going to get into that any further but you understand my views and go back and hear them. And now they pick a radical left-wing Democrat to be the moderator and among the issues is climate change which already came up. The White House NBC reporter Shouldn't be any reporters who are moderates. Should be no moderator, as I've been preaching and campaigning against now for two decades. Well, unfortunately, there is one, and she's a hack. I'll be right back. Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com.
Joe Biden. Racist. Bigot. Our friends at Breitbart.com. Harris Alec. Now, I also have done much of this on a 10-minute segment on Hannity. But let's go through this. Number one, as recently as June of 2019, Biden praised the civility of the segregationist senators, segregationist senators he worked with in Congress to pass anti-busing legislation. Quote, I was in a caucus with James Eastland, Biden said, with an attempted southern draw. He never called me boy. He always called me son. Well, guess what? The former vice president continued. At least there was some civility. We got things done. We didn't agree on much of anything. We got things done. We got it finished. But today you look at the other side and you're the enemy, not the opposition, the enemy. We don't talk to each other anymore. Well, the reputations of Eastland and Talmadge and others over the decades as segregationists, that upset people at the time. Eastland in particular was known as the voice of the, of the white South for a stringent opposition to civil rights integration. The New York Times wrote in Eastland's obituary often appeared in Mississippi courthouse squares promising the crowds that if elected he would stop blacks and whites from meeting together in Washington. He often spoke of blacks as an inferior race. Of course, Biden has changed, hasn't he, ladies and gentlemen? And of course, the President of the United States has never spoken like this. Biden, who joined the Senate in 1972, missed most of the early battles on school integration, but he did arrive just as busing to achieve school desegregation was coming to the forefront. Now, ladies and gentlemen, most people opposed busing, including the black families in these cities, white families. It was, it was very uh, uh, tumultuous for a lot of people on quote-unquote both sides. But wait, what made Biden particularly outrageous here was what he said about it is what he said about it he spoke like a segregationist racist 1977 he wrote to James Eastland he said dear Mr. Chairman I want you to know that I very much appreciate your help during this week's committee meeting in attempting to bring my anti-busing legislation to a vote I am hopeful that the bill can be voted on the next meeting and with your assistance I'm confident There's sufficient support for approval. So he's writing Eastland, who he knows to be a segregationist and a white supremacist. And he's writing him because he knows he's going to help him get that bill passed. Now that's pretty amazing stuff. Now there's a lot more in here and I want people to know about it. Because despite what the media say and so forth, there are many people who listen to this program who are minorities. And there are many people who listen to this program who are moderates who are Democrats, maybe they're still thinking about what to do. You can talk about Donald Trump's tweets all you want. People can lie about what he said in Charlottesville all they want. His record has been outstanding when it comes to the African-American community. And there's, there's Barack Obama speaking in Philadelphia. And you know what he couldn't say? All the accomplishments of the Obama-Biden camp, uh, uh, administration in the African-American community. You know the other reason he's there? Because Joe Biden won't go there. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. 
now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader mark levin Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, As I said, the reason Obama was in Philadelphia is because Biden wasn't. And Biden wasn't, and Obama lost a step. Listen to some of what he said. It's the usual pablum. But it's just not as inspiring as it was to so many people in the past. So we're going down... Joe Biden's uh, racist record. We talked about his uh, working very closely with Eastland. I should mention Stennis of Mississippi, Talmadge of Georgia, and so forth, all whom were segregationists. Second point, again, some of this we've discussed. Biden praised the notorious segregationist Georgia Governor George Wallace. He boasted about how Wallace once honored him with an award in 1973. And he told the Southern audience in 1987 that we Delawareans were on the South side in the Civil War. And uh, he was praising Wallace and the awards that Wallace gave him because he was running for president again. And he wanted to draw attention. He thought it would help from the South. Um, And Wallace gave him an award, as a matter of fact. Uh, 1975, during an interview with National Pubic Radio about his support for a constitutional amendment to stop busing, Biden suggested liberals only favored the practice because it was opposed by racists like Wallace. Um, And so there are news clippings that prove everything I'm saying. Instances where Biden mentioned Wallace grew out From the 1980s, becoming more commonplace in the lead-up to his first presidential run in 1988. Back then, the South was still nominally Democratic, but it voted overwhelmingly for Reagan in 80 and 84. Biden appeared to believe his youth, moderate record, and stance on busing presented the best opportunity to bring Southern white voters into the Democratic camp. Biden talked of his sympathy for the South, bragged of an award he had received from George Wallace in 1973. This is in the Philadelphia Inquirer, September 20, 1987. Senator Joseph Biden of Delaware, writes the uh, Detroit Free Press at the time, May 1987, tells Southerners that the lower half of his state is culturally part of Dixie. Minds them that the former governor of Alabama, Wallace, praised him as one of the outstanding young politicians of America. Quote, unquote. Number three. Biden opposed busing in the 1970s and expressed fears that it would lead to a racial jungle. This is what I mean. A lot of people opposed busing. The Supreme Court stepped in. A lot of black people opposed busing. A lot of white people opposed busing. A lot of parents, generally. But it's what Biden said. It's what Biden said that should draw your attention. In the 70s and 80s, he was seen as the Senate's leading opponent of busing, one of them, to desegregate public schools. As a first-term senator in 77, Biden raised concerns during a Senate committee hearing on busing that the practice would lead to, quote, a racial jungle, unquote. 
with tensions pushed to their breaking point at the time Biden was facing tough re-election prospects. He said, quote, unless we do something about this, my children are going to grow up in a jungle, the jungle being a racial jungle, with tensions having built so high that it's going to explode at some point. Biden said shortly after making a plea for orderly integration. It's not clear exactly what he was talking about. Now, Biden's remarks at the hearing were similar to those he expressed during an interview with a local Delaware newspaper in 1975. He said the real problem with busing, he told after lambasting busing, was that you take people who aren't racist, people who are good citizens, who believe in equal education and opportunity, and you stunt their children's intellectual growth by busing them to an inferior school, and you're going to fill them with hatred. The unsavory part about this is when I come out against busing, I have all along, I don't want to be mixed up with George Wallace, he added. And yet he kind of embraced him a few years later. I'm not going to read it all. Let's skip around here. You know, number five, Biden told black radio host Charlemagne the God, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're going to vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. Biden told the Asian-Latino coalition of Des Moines that, quote, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids, unquote. I'm telling you, the guy's a bigot, and he's been for decades and decades, and he's gotten away with this. And yet he's probably going to get 90% of the black vote. It's amazing to me. LeBron James is campaigning for him. Oprah Winfrey's campaigning for him. And on and on and on. They don't want you to know about this. I'm telling you about this. While delivering remarks before a black audience in Delaware, and you remember this, Biden launched into a meandering story about a gang leader named Corn Pop and claimed that he learned about roaches while working at a community pool in a black neighborhood. In 2008, Biden referred to then-presidential candidate Obama as the first sort of mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean. This is 12 years ago. In 2006, you remember, Biden told C-SPAN you can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. Biden falsely claimed, in other words, he lied to have marched in the civil rights movement. During his run for the 1988 Democratic nomination, Biden inflated his record of activism in the civil rights movement. Biden, in particular, repeatedly claimed to have marched in the civil rights movement when presenting himself to audiences as a candidate for generational change. He said, when I marched in the civil rights movement, I didn't march with a 12-point plan. Biden told a group of supporters in 1987, I marched with tens of thousands of others to change attitudes, and we changed attitudes. He was lying. And then he goes on stage at these debates and accuses Trump of being a liar. He's a liar. He lies all the time. He's a clown. In reality... Biden had never marched during the civil rights movement, according to Matt Flegenheimer of the New York Times. Quote, more than once, advisors had gently reminded Mr. Biden of the problem with this formulation. He'd not actually marched during the civil rights movement, wrote Flegenheimer. And more than once, Mr. Biden assured them he understood and kept telling the same story anyway. The exaggeration, along with Biden's propensity for plagiarism, would eventually force him to abandon his 1988 presidential bid before a single vote was cast. 
Now he's the nominee of the Democrat Party. Boy, things have changed, haven't they, Mr. Producer? Now, Biden's a moderate, you know. Forget about all that racist, bigoted stuff, of which there's a lot in Biden's background. Forget about all the plagiarism, of which there's a lot. Forget about all the lies. He marched in this movement, and he got these grades and a scholarship. In his own mind, he imagines these things. What's left of his mind? He imagines these things. He says these things. Then he goes on stage and calls Donald Trump a liar. Oh, that guy lies all the time. You can't believe anything he says. Joe Biden is a very sick man. Putting aside his, his obviously a mental incapacity. I'm talking about he's a very sick man morally and ethically. Lying comes very easy to Joe Biden. And people need to understand, it's, it's, like, it's like fracking and oil production. He can say two things and believe both of them. Because on the one hand, he really means it. To eliminate fossil fuel, he signed off on that plan. And to eliminate fracking, and it's more than that. They want to eliminate the pipelines that bring us oil. They're going to eliminate all the jobs that go with this. And there's a ton of them. And then when he's confronted on it, what does he say? Trump's lying. That Trump's the liar. We have video, we have audio, we have photographs. But Trump's the liar, you see. The suburbs. This is a big issue. Not for the New York Times. Not for the leftists. It's a big issue. The proper way to frame this, the more accurate way to frame this, isn't just about low-income housing being forced into the suburbs, which would happen. And the suburbs are the most diverse areas in our country, by the way, with almost 40% minorities. That's a good thing. It is. This country is, is, is really quite wonderful. But it's far more than that. Localities would lose all control over zoning, all control over whether or not you have single-family housing or not. The federal government can step in and stop it. Lose all control over the building of local schools, where they're to be located, how many children are going to be in these schools, what kind of schools they're going to be. You would lose all control over transportation hubs, where parking lots could be, and so forth and so on, because they have a huge plan. They have charts, they have models, they have computers for every community in this country, based not on race so much, but based on economics. The cities are hurting, and what the Democrats want to do since they control the cities and have destroyed many of these cities, as have many of the fellow Democrats who burned them and so forth, they want to devour the suburbs. They want to pull the suburbs into the metropolitan cities. That's what they, metropolitan areas into the cities. That's what they want to do. They want to expand their tax base, and they want to completely eliminate the distinction between these two, uh, these two different types of communities. They think this notion of suburbs and rural areas and so forth, that it's accidental, that it's very quaint. But look, if you're going to control the country through the government, if you're going to manage people through taxation and regulation, if you're going to bully them and push them around and devour everything around them, you're not going to leave the suburbs alone. Why would you? And who's going to stop you? And this is what the president keeps saying. The president stopped them. 
Obama started this. Biden wants to do that. He wants to massively expand it because uh, uh, the senator from New Jersey, he's the one pushing this. Forget his name. Doesn't much matter. He's the one pushing this. And Biden's agreed to it. So Biden's gone all the way from segregationist to now war on the suburbs. He'll do whatever he has to do. I'll be right back. I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and 2 gigs of data, all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Joe Biden was asked finally by a reporter in Milwaukee about uh, his son, Hunter, profiting off the family name. Here's how it went, and the reporter's name is Pedersen. Cut three, go. Wisconsin's Republican Senator Ron Johnson put out a statement on Homeland Security letterhead saying Hunter Biden, together with other Biden family members, profited off the Biden name. Is there any legitimacy to Senator Johnson's claims? None whatsoever. This is the same garbage Rudy Giuliani, Trump's henchman. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. Even the man who served with him on that committee, the former nominee for the Republican Party, said there's no basis to this. And, you know, and all and the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Ron should be ashamed of himself. No basis to what? Now, kudos to this reporter for raising the issue, but what what was this? Mr. Biden, do you deny the fact that, that your, that's your son's, Hunter's, laptop? Mr. Biden, do you deny the fact that that's your son's signature on the invoice? Mr. Biden... Do you deny the fact that your son's lawyer contacted the owner of the computer fix-it shop? Mr. Biden, do you deny that those emails with specific names, dates, places, witnesses, therefore, are not the emails that belong to your son? Mr. Biden, do you deny that your son was in that computer fix-it shop? Mr. Biden... Have you asked your son any of these questions whatsoever? Mr. Biden, do you deny what is stated emphatically in one of these emails 
that you spoke with or met with the number two executive at Burisma, and yet you told the American people repeatedly that you knew nothing about Burisma or your son's business activities. Mr. Biden, the fact that you didn't have this quote-unquote meeting on your official schedule raises the question that if you did speak to this man, why on your official schedule? Those are five or six basic questions, deposition-like questions, which have many tributaries to them. But here he's able to attack Rudy, because this is what he does, and says that the senator involved, Ron Johnson, should be ashamed of himself. He can attack Rudy all he wants. He can attack the senator all he wants. But nobody has yet to ask this man specific questions. And by the way, I understand what Mike Huckabee is saying. Mike Huckabee is saying, Mr. President, don't focus on this because the American people don't care about it that much. I would agree in part with what Mike Huckabee is saying. Because trust me when I tell you, those of us who are focused on this every day, it's one thing. Unfortunately, the vast majority of the American people aren't. So you got to hammer Biden on the virus. you got to hammer Biden on the economy. you got to hammer Biden on his racism. And yes, hammer Biden on his taxes. You don't have to ignore this at all. But it shouldn't be the number one issue. But it should be an issue. Because it goes to the integrity of this man, Biden, and whether he lied to the American people, and it appears that his son did in fact use the name and his father's office to enrich himself. And then the question is, When it comes to China, there are more emails. And one of the emails emphatically states that 10% will be put aside of a deal with Hunter Biden and this Chinese company with three Chinese individuals who have ties to the Chinese military and intelligence services. You don't have private companies in China. They have eyes, ears, tentacles everywhere. It is a ubiquitous, fascistic so-called communist regime. And so the question is, and people want to know, if any money flowed from that. Now, this is a thousand times more information than exists when they opened a special counsel criminal investigation of the President of the United States and his orbit, where there were no predicates whatsoever. The Democrat Party has set the standard. They set the standard for impeachment. Basically, no standard. The bar is so low. And then to dismiss all this, first they told you it was Russian disinformation. The director of national intelligence said, no, it's not. Now the FBI and the Department of Justice have said these emails are not Russian. So it's not Russian disinformation. It's Biden disinformation. It's media disinformation. It's Democrat Party talking point disinformation and not a single major news operation outside of Fox which is getting there not one other than the New York Post gives a damn the New York Times is throwing out smoke to protect their candidate the Washington Post more smoke to protect their candidate it's a disgusting disgrace I'll be right back 
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. One man antidote for liberal media bias. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. All right. Now, Mr. Producer, you may have sent it to me already, but send me our phone call screen, please, so I can uh, bring in a few of our callers. I don't think you did send it. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It was just sent. Well, it takes a little while. Well, there it is. It's not fair for me to uh, monopolize all the time, even though I can. But power doesn't go to my head, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Let's go to Adam, Sirius Satellite, Detroit, Michigan. How are you, Adam? Hey, good, Mark. How are you? All right. Hey, so, you know, I, I heard you say the, you know, the New York Times is part of the left wing, and I'm, I'm, I don't totally disagree with that. But you, you did worse than left wing. It's worse than left well, wing. Okay. Well, it, it's a propaganda operation. Of the left wing. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But my question to you is, you know, this, this article mentioned 17-something million dollar revenue spike at Trump's Chinese company and then a $15 million withdrawal by Trump. What kind of company was it, by the way? She. What kind oh, of company? Hotel. Hello, hello. What kind of company was it? Ho- hotel company. Mm-hmm. So he has a hotel in China. He had a part interest in a hotel in China. Yeah, but to, to me, it's, it seems like there was a $17 million spike bigger than the past five years, and then he withdrew $15 million of it that same year while he was president, all while there was a trade deal going on. And but he's not, he's not, he has no idea what's going on in there. It's in a trust. Look, I have a trust. There's a lot of people who have a trust, a lot of people who don't even have a lot of money. They set up trust for their kids, their irrevocable trust. They put the money. They have no, idea, no damn idea what's going on. So you have to make a lot of implications here. Potentially, and that's why I'm calling you. I wanted to get your take on it. To me, it's Well, I don't have his tax returns. I, uh, nobody has stolen his returns and shared them with me. But don't you think it's odd that it comes out the Wednesday before the Thursday and the New York Times has absolutely no interest whatsoever in any of the uh, Hunter Biden information and no interest in, uh, in Biden's taxes to avoid payments into Obamacare and Medicare? Okay, the president is a very wealthy man. And it's interesting. He actually made a profit. They've been saying he never makes a profit. And so this, this trust has, the, he's, he's got hotel properties all over the world. He's got them in Scotland, he's got them in Ireland, he's got them here, he's got them there. And they make money and they sell, and they sell a percentage of it. I, I don't even know what the story is. What's the story? 
Well, there's a lot. No, no. The the problem with the Hunter Biden and the Joe Biden thing is he's selling his name. He's selling his office. He's doing it with China. He's doing it with Russia. He's doing it with the Ukraine. God knows where else he's doing it. These emails are coming out slowly but surely. President of the United States ran for office. He already owned these properties. What do you want him to do? Burn them down? I don't understand. What's he supposed to do with them? What, I mean, he's a multi-billionaire. On the one hand, the left says he's really not worth anything. On the other hand, they have an article here. He made some money in China, paid taxes on it. Okay, so what? Well, it, it would be nice if we understood why he was getting so much money from a company that we are trying to have a trade deal with. It, I don't like the sound of what it. What company are we trying to have a trade deal with? It's a hotel. The country. The country. Oh, the China. country, you say. Well, we're trying to have a trade deal with all countries. I, I mean... What, does that affect his hotel business? Is he going to make more money off his hotel, whether or not we have a trade deal with China? He he certainly could. My question No, no, no. It's a hotel. It's not a steel business. It's a hotel. Yeah, okay. That's that's fine. I mean, it's... I guess you just want poor guys to run for president. Bureaucrats, right? No, I didn't say that. Well, what do you want? No. Uh, I'd like to know when my president makes a whole bunch of money from a foreign country. He didn't make a whole bunch of money, not, not in terms of his money. And you say he made it from a foreign country. He made it from a hotel in a foreign country. What money did he make from a foreign country? Name one. China. Trump. He didn't Trump. make any money from China. You know what? You're a dim-witted, Biden-supporting, left-wing kook. He didn't make a penny off of China. It's a hotel. If people stay in the hotel... They pay to stay in the hotel. If they buy food in the hotel, they pay to buy food in the hotel. The Chinese government doesn't have a damn thing to do with it. Now get the hell off my phone, you moron. Good Lord. Mark, why aren't you polite? Because I don't have to be polite. Guy tries to slide under the radar. Why are we even talking about the stupid hotel in China where he paid taxes? Because the New York Times does a hit on him. Oh, I see. Well, how do we know this isn't Chinese disinformation? And the New York Times is going over carefully stolen tax information to try and find an article that they can write about a nothing burger story to try and distract the country from Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And this fool's being played, and he doesn't care. Because he likes Biden. Of course, he pretends otherwise because he's dishonest, like most liberals. Let's take another call, shall we, Mr. Producer? I think we shall. Let's see. And the thing is, we always let liberals go to the front of the line. You don't have to lie. But that's okay. Uh, Let us go to Lee... I'm trying to read this. Pauly's Island, where is it? Why are you guys writing in lowercase? Pauly's Island, California. No, no, no. Excuse me, South Carolina. Carolina. Okay, how are you, ma'am? What's uh, what's up? Well, it's a true honor to speak with you, and please don't ever accuse me from being from California. (laughs) No, you're right. Um, I'll tell you that last caller is is practicing I, I have something that was very important for me to say but what your last caller did is is typical of the left it's all about subterfuge you know mm, exactly exactly uh, so he has a hotel they make money he pays taxes 
And that's a story. Yes, well, he got money from China. He didn't get money from China. He got money from people who stayed at his hotel. Well, sir, I wanted to talk about the moderators very quickly. Yes, I wanted yes. to put something out there because I've been, I, I'm, a, I'm a retired school teacher. I have a master's degree in education. Mm-hmm. I'm a staunch conservative. My father was a U.S. Marine in World War II in Korea. God um, bless online, you. I'm, I had to leave. Yeah, he was great. Uh, I had to leave New Jersey because of the recent governor who nobody likes. Um, because I just, I have to hang on to my Americana. That's why I moved mm-hmm. to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And what I have come up with, being a retired teacher, is there's no way, like, to get a kid to stop lying. And you have to treat... There's no way to do what? Like, um, when a kid, uh, what, what I've learned from being a parent, if mm-hmm. there's something so important to a child, you know, who's mm-hmm. under the age of 10 years old, they will do anything to achieve that ain't. They'll, they'll cheat, they'll, they'll lie, they'll lie, steal, cheat, whatever. And what we have here are bullies on the playground. So as far as the moderator, there will never be one moderator who's going to be fair. My suggestion for the future is two moderators. Mm-hmm. One moderator to start, one moderator to take the second half of the town hall or debate. They're not debates, they're basically I don't know, hair, the talk people have in hair salons with the Demo- Democrats. I, I, I tell you, <clears throat> I, really, I really believe that we don't need any moderators. This is serious. If you have two serious campaigns and two serious candidates, and I like the uh, Lincoln-Douglas debates. You couldn't do any better than that. Well, we don't have Lincoln and Douglas now. Well, their debates were very, very sophisticated. But on the other hand, they were down and dirty, too. People ought to read them. I have a book of them, and I've read them more than once. And here's the thing. The way their format was was perfect. 60 minutes, the first one up gets 60 minutes, uninterrupted. The second one up gets 90 minutes. So they can speak about what they want to speak about and respond. And then the first one up gets the last 30 minutes. They had seven debates. Douglas went first four times. Lincoln went first three times because Lincoln wasn't holding any office and Douglas was a United States senator. It's perfect. Now let me ask you a question, Lee. Do you think Joe Biden could stand there for 60 minutes or even 90 minutes and speak? Well, let, let me tell you. The, sir, answer, the answer is no, and, the, and it's important to know that. Go ahead. We could sell tickets because it would be so pathetic. The entire Democratic Party would melt down in about four minutes. I wish we could do that. I pray we could do that. But we cannot, we cannot longer have this commission... Uh, we can no longer have these reporters. When you have an entire former profession that is poisoned by ideology, uh, that, that, is, that is 98% or, or, or so in the Democrat camp pushing social activism, you can't select from that pool of individuals to have moderators. You just can't. It's, it's, no. it's, uh, it, it, it's basically two Democrats against the uh, Republican. Yeah, it's tainted. Mm-hmm. The process uh, is tainted. All right, my friend. Good luck. We'll be right back. Mark in. I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. 
but the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Let's take a call, shall we? Yes, we can. Brad, the great KSFO, Sacramento, California. Go. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you, sir. Um, and I am, I am a uh, true conservative, uh, both physically, I mean, uh, uh, financially and morally. Uh, well, can you prove that, sir? You say you're physically conservative. Sorry, I, I misspoke. Oh. Financially. Okay. okay yes. So... My concern is, is that I know that we're in the political season, and, um, you know, when Trump first ran for office, I was doubtful that he was going to be the person that I thought he could be, and I've been so surprised and love the guy now with one caveat, and the caveat is the spending. The spending is off the charts. There's no pushback. When Barack Obama was spending his... All right, let me slow you down. There is pushback. The reason why the Republicans in the Senate proposed a half a billion dollars while Pelosi's talking about two point four trillion and the president's talking about one point nine trillion is the Republicans in the Senate aren't buying it. But the and, and I understand the reason why he has to spend now because of the condition that we're in, but I'm just talking about even before the coronavirus, the spending was off the charts. I don't disagree with you. And, and I was one of the few people, if you listen, I'm sure, who criticized it and kept criticizing. It. And frankly I've told the president directly this. That said, that's not our choice between fiscal conservatives and spending liberals. Our choice right now is between protecting our Constitution and our way of life or surrendering it. And so that's the choice we have right now. I'm fully aware of that. But my, my point is, is that at some point, and hopefully in the next term, and I'm sure he'll be reelected, that he addresses this important issue. Well, we, we need to press it, don't we? Yeah, we, need to press, we, we need to make this a, uh, a priority, and I could not agree more with you. Yeah, and I'm just, it's sad because we may not lose our uh, way of life uh, if Trump's elected, but we'll definitely lose it if we don't tighten up the spending issue. And, and, you know, I, I, I agree. I don't disagree. All right, my friend, you're right on as far as I'm concerned. Right on. Right on, baby. Let's go to Anthony. West Hills, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go right ahead, Anthony. How you doing, Mark? I want to okay. thank you, first of all. You are a citizen soldier. And Aren't you, you kind? For sticking up for, for our freedoms and the American way. Second thank of all, you. I was one of the first guys to email your Levin TV show, Anthony. Yeah. And oh, did we use it? Yes, you did. I was the Good. very first email on your show. And thank you. what I'm very proud of, you gave me five stars on your Facebook page for a post about 
the Obama Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And I believe you had it up there for two years. So I want to thank you. I'm very <laughs> proud of that. Well, thank you, Anthony. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't get angry now. Don't turn on me. But I got to go. That music means I have to go. But you know what? Let's hold on to Anthony. Let's see if we can carry him over to the next hour, okay? I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Heads up, Mr. Producer, cut 16 Doug Emhoff. Anybody know who Doug Emhoff is? Anybody? Of course not. He's Kamala Harris's husband, the Dugster. And uh, he was on the Twitter video, and he made a little faux pas. Cut 16, go. Those are the clapping seals. And I'm married to the next president of the United States. Is he married to Joe Biden, Mr. Producer? Apparently so, yes. He's married to the next president of the United States. Now, this could be quite a, uh, may I say, headliner. Not that there's anything wrong with this. Of course, not in modern America. It would appear that... Kamala Harris's husband is married to Joe Biden. Joe Biden's married to Dr. Jill Biden. I don't know what you call this. There's got to be a liberal term for this. I don't know what it is. It's got to be okay. Somebody find Jeffrey Tubin. He'll know, he'll be able to explain this. If he's not busy, if you get my drift. Anyway, Doug Emhoff, as I said, is Kamala Harris's. And by the way, uh, Jeffrey Tubin, CNN has not fired him. No, I think they think they're really on the cutting edge there. An exhibitionist who's doing you know what. Very cool for CNN. They think that you see CNN. <laughs> no HR problem, nothing. No problem. Anyway, Doug Emhoff, one more time, Kamala Harris's husband, we thought we could be wrong now. Cut sixteen, go. All right, so he, he's married to Joe Biden. So this is very, very, very weird. 
Very weird. So I wanted to point that out to you. I wonder if the rest of the media are going to pick up on this. And by the way, he was slurring his speech. Did you notice that? I'm married to the next president of the state. Tear it up. Come on now. Let's hear Woohoo. Yay. Okay, Doug. That's no scandal. He's married to Biden. My God. What states allow that, Mr. Producer? So if I understand that, he's married to Kamala and to Biden. Biden, therefore, is married to him and Dr. Jill. But Kamala's only married to him, and Dr. Jill's only married to Biden. Do I have that about right? Now, to make things even more curious, remember Hunter Biden was having a relationship with Bo, the late uh, Bo Biden's wife? Remember that, Mr. Producer? So this complicates things even more, and Joe said that was okay. At the same time, Hunter was having a relationship with a stripper, and he had a baby, and he denied the baby. They did the DNA. Uh, Whatever, I'll pay whatever I have to. Quite a group we have here, quite a group. Representative of America. But based on what Doug Emhoff had to say, this really is a first. I, I, I think this would really be a first for the White House. We have a circle thing going on here, if you get my drift. It's quite, uh, well, I don't want to think about it anymore. It kind of turns me off, to be perfectly honest with you. Let's, uh, let's take another call, shall we? I think we will. We have good callers out. Oh, let's go back to, uh, was it Anthony? Let's go back to our friend Anthony in California. Go ahead, Anthony. How you doing? Uh, my compliments to the screen caller. What a wonderful lady. And um, I guess 2% goes a long way with Canada. Hold on now. Rich, did you know you're a lady? Uh, Richie, Richie V. No, I'm kidding. We had we had our friend Jen here, and then Richie V had to come back. I'm kidding, Anthony. Go ahead. Anyway, um, I'm originally from Hoboken, New Jersey, the son of a longshoreman. We had a yep. conversation about these. those are the guys back then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's my question, and I'm wondering what you think. With the dark money corruption floating around the Obama administration back mm-hmm. in 2015, whenever this stuff started, would this COVID-19 virus be a result of the compromise that that might have had and all the Chinese interference thereafter? Say that again. What, what, what's your hypothesis? With, with the compromising of the Obama administration with this mm-hmm. dark money Mm-hmm. Coming from China to the Obamas, um, mm-hmm. to the uh, Biden Democrats, yep. Would would that compromise the the administration and leave us with this COVID nineteen, which was manufactured? I, I don't think so. I just think Biden is an absolute buffoonish incompetent. I really do. I don't think there's anything uh, nefarious in terms of the Democrats and the Biden campaign. Other than the fact that you're right, they're taking an enormous amount of dark money. They're getting hundreds of millions of dollars from people who, when they're supposed to put their employment, they're putting down unemployed. This really does require a massive investigation. I agree with you completely. It's so thoroughly and unbelievably corrupt. And they may well be getting foreign money. You remember Anthony, uh, uh, John Wong and all the rest of it going on with the uh, 
with the Clintons and all the uh, communist Chinese money that came into that campaign. Remember that? And he was compromised, too. He was compromised, and nobody ever talks about that. That's what I'm saying. One more thing, Mark, real quick. Yes, sir. The, the, the computer. Now, can't they just get that serial number? Because I have a MacBook Pro, too. And my serial number is linked to my name every time I go to uh, Apple That's Care a good and point. all my... Why can't they just nail that down and say, hey... I think they have nailed it down. I hope so. I hope we and, I, and that's an excellent point. I believe the computer's in the hands of the FBI. Anthony, what the hell's going on with the FBI and this Christopher Ray? He's a disaster. Well, you know, it used to be forever bothering Italians, FBI. And now they're working for <laughs> the Democrats. Only, only certain Italians, only certain Jews, only certain Irish... Only certain Asian. In other words, only certain people might be committing crimes. I don't know that they were going after Italians, but maybe they were. I don't know. Well, I mean, RICO Act, why don't they go use the RICO Act after the Democrats? I mean, you know, it's the same act. Well, I agree with that completely. But some Italians are Democrats, you know. Absolutely. We're no longer monolithic. Now, unfortunately, most of my people are. Anyway, go ahead. In 1968, the Italians-Americans uh, were declared a non-minority group. So from that point on, I guess we melted right in. I don't know. <laughs> but we're not monolithic. The goal, the goal is to assimilate everybody, to be perfectly honest about it. Minorities, majorities, quasi-minorities. I mean, really, we're not even supposed to look at ourselves this way. But look how our country has been... Balkanized and tribalized, and it's going to be getting a lot worse. Anthony, thank you for your call, my friend. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Senator Tom Tillis, well, he's a senator, and he's from North Carolina. He's in a hell of a race against this, I'll say, this very strange guy, this guy Cunningham. Senator Tillis, how are you, sir? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for being the voice of Americans. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't mean to pile on, but this guy is, is uh, well, let me put it to you this way. Things keep coming out on this guy, you know, like he's got girlfriends and uh, things of that sort. Has that affected him at all in the polls, do you know? 
I think so. I think you've got, you know, you got probably 80 percent of the people probably evenly matched voting for the Republican or the Democrat. But all of a sudden, a guy who runs on a campaign of truth and honor, who's been untruthful and dishonorable, and now he is under investigation by the Department of the Army for violating the code of conduct and even more serious allegations. Uh, He's got a lot of things to explain to people in North Carolina. I think at the end of the day, that's why he loses the race. Meanwhile, your governor, who's, who's quite the left winger, he whispers to Biden in an open mic that, you know, I know it's a problem, but we're gonna we're gonna drag him across the finish line. So the governor uh, is apparently willing to do whatever it takes to defeat you. Well, and the governor's also doing whatever it takes to undo everything that we did to get North Carolina on track back when I was Speaker of the House. I mean, we've got a lieutenant governor running that should get elected. Uh, North Carolina voted us in because. We got North Carolina back on track and got up to Washington. President Trump with the Congress got the uh, the United States back on track. They want to undo all that. We just can't let it happen. Here's the scary thing, uh, Senator Tillis. There's a couple of these races, yours included, that are very, very tight. And if we lose this Senate, and they even have a, uh, even if it's 51 to 49, they're going to change this country forever, aren't they? Well, they will. There's no question. I mean, Chuck Schumer was on stage with AOC. And, Mark, this is very important for everybody to understand. So Chuck Schumer says, I'm not going to waste the majority. He said that a couple of weeks on stage with AOC. Chuck Schumer is up for reelection. If he doesn't go further left than AOC, then he loses his primary to AOC. So what does that mean? He does the nuclear option. He expands and packs the Supreme Court. He gets D.C. admitted to statehood. He probably tees up Puerto Rico for statehood. They pass elements of the Green New Deal, and they take this country in a direction that will be impossible for us to claw back. Well, you make a great point. He's got to worry about a primary challenge from the left, doesn't he? Right. So, I mean, if you think about it just logically, I was at a press conference today because we're trying to do a resolution to prevent the packing of the Supreme Court. Marco Rubio and several of us signed on to the resolution. If if people just need to think logically, Chuck Schumer will go as far left as he has to go to beat AOC in a primary. Mm-hmm. And that means that he'll do the nuclear option. He'll pack the Supreme Court. He will pass every single liberal measure that's necessary for him to maintain control. That's why we can't give him the gavel. That's why I have to win. That's why we have to keep the majority. We've got to get the president reelected. Let me ask you this, Tom Tillis. How's the money situation, you versus your opponent? Well, you know, we're uh, in, in 2014, we were outspent two to one and we won. And never before the, the election day were we up by less than or we were behind by two points. This cycle, $233 million has already been spent. Chuck Schumer has put almost $90 million behind a guy who's been investigated by the Army, uh, got a tax cut, got a tax break to renovate his house, the same house that he had an affair in. And uh, uh, But it's close. It's very, very close. But I think at the end of the day, we win. Then we've got to look to the other states that we have to. We've got to pick up Alabama. We're looking good in Michigan. We got to got to work hard in Colorado, and Arizona and Maine. Uh, but I think there's clearly a path. But the money advantage right now, they've they've spent probably 125, almost 130 million dollars out of the 200 
and $30 million in the state of North Carolina. It's going to be the most expensive race in U.S. history, just the way it was in 2014. You know, Senator Tillis, here is what concerns me. In virtually every race I'm watching, whether it's Senate or House races, the Democrats are outspending us. Where are they getting all this money from? Well, they aggregate it. They get it from uh, my opponent said he doesn't take PAC contributions. He doesn't take corporate money. And that's that's actually been proven false by the liberal uh, fact checkers. They are aggregating this money and putting it wherever they want to. If you go to the Black Life Matters page and you you press donate, you end up going to act blue. Mm-hmm. There are nothing but uh, they are fronts for the Democratic blue machine that is funneling money in 48 hours after Justice Ginsburg passed away. In 48 hours, they raised $100 million, and they funneled $6 million to Cal Cunningham, my opponent. How do we know some of this money isn't illegal or coming from foreign sources? Because they wash it through this group and so forth. We really don't know, Mark. I think that's something that we've got to work on. There's got to be more transparency and fundraising. You know, you have Sheldon Whitehouse, a lot of the other Democrats come to the floor and say we have to end dark money. I agree with that, mainly because the majority of it is going to Democrat candidates from sources that we can't fully understand where they're coming from. They're, um, they are trying to buy this election. If you've got Bloomberg, Steyer, Soros, they're putting – hundreds of millions of dollars in these races trying to buy senators. And I'll guarantee you, if Cal Cunningham wins, he will be nothing more than a rubber stamp for whatever Chuck Schumer has to do to keep the gavel, and he will go as far left as he has to to do that. Yeah, because he's going to owe everything to Chuck Schumer. trying to drag him across the finish line. What are the main issues in North Carolina, pretty much the main issues in the rest of the country? Yeah, I think for the most part they are. I mean, obviously, his adulterous affairs, he's had an affair with the wife of a wounded warrior. Um, He's had a second affair that was reported over the weekend. But we have to go back and talk about what he did. He will say anything to get elected. When he was running for the state Senate in 2000, he promised he wouldn't raise taxes. And then months later, he broke his pledge. He raised taxes by a billion dollars. I had a reporter ask me, saying you're criticizing him for raising taxes, but it was the height of a recession. So uh, do you think that's fair? I said, that's why I'm criticizing him, because when I became the Speaker of the House and we were at the height of a recession, we cut taxes. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask you, which one benefited people of North Carolina more? He doesn't get what it takes to help people really actually uh, get out of poverty, raise or, or have higher wages, be independent. This guy has been he's, – he's, he, he grew up rich. I grew up in a trailer park. Hmm. This guy is trying to tell me what I need to know to get out of poverty. I know what it takes to get out of poverty. He doesn't, and that's what resonates with people in North Carolina. Well, that's interesting. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I grew up uh, – I grew up in a family of six kids. I moved seven times before I was 16 years old. Uh, went to five different elementary schools, three different middle schools, one high school. I went to two community colleges, night school. Didn't get my degree until I was 36 years old. Became a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers and a partner at IBM Global Business Services. So, you know, I lived the American dream. I lived in a time in Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan where if you worked hard, you got rewarded for your work. Cal Cunningham, on the other hand, has grown up wealthy. 
went to Vanderbilt, went to Chapel Hill, went to London School of Economics. He's never wanted for anything. And I didn't want anything except the opportunity to uh, succeed. If I worked hard, I did. And I want that opportunity for every single young man and woman who's growing up in a trailer park today, that if we give them the opportunity, they succeed. If government comes in, we will destroy the opportunities for the same kids like me that are growing up in trailer parks today. So if people want to help you, they go to TomTillis.com, T-H-O-M-T-I-L-L-I-S, TomTillis.com. It's up on my Facebook, Twitter, and parlor sites, TomTillis.com. Let's see if we can help him, because if he's in the Senate, he's going to help us. Senator, we wish you all the best, sir. Thanks, Mark. God bless. And you too. And we'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. Just a reminder, that was Tom Tillis. It's TomTillis.com. We need him in the Senate from North Carolina, T-H-O-M-T-I-L-L-I-S.com. He's on all our social sites. And now we have a wonderful candidate from Virginia, Nick for VA.com. Nick for VA.com. Nick Freitas, how are you, sir? Doing very well, Mark. Thank you for having me on. Now, Virginia 7th, where is that? Virginia 7th is central Virginia. It's just west of Richmond, about a north-south running district. And who's in there now? So right now it's Abigail Spanberger. Oh, what a fraud. I'm sorry. I just happen to know she's a fraud. Uh, tell us about your, yourself. Well, my, my background was military. I did two combat tours over in Iraq as a Green Beret. And, and Mark, honestly, that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. I loved being a Green Beret. I loved the mission that we had. Uh, but one of the things that just really started to drive me into the whole idea of politics, because this was not the original life plan, was watching the Democratic Party start to run on this platform of wanting to fundamentally change our country. And I can tell you right now, Mark, being overseas where you've sworn an oath to the Constitution and you actually believe in the fundamentals of this country and then have a major political party tell you that we're just going to throw that out now, it was absolutely, I mean, it was frustrating. It felt like betrayal. And so I started to get more involved in this idea of making the argument for why these concepts of individual liberty, of free markets, of self-determination, of constitutionally limited government is essential. It's not just, these aren't just a political philosophy. This is the very essence of what it is to be an American. Mm-hmm. 
And your opponent, uh, I believe she worked for the CIA, but she's a leftist, hardcore, isn't she? Oh, yes. Uh, now, she does a very good job marketing herself as a moderate, and when you've got $10 million to go on TV coming from Nancy Pelosi and other groups telling everyone you're a moderate, you can certainly give that impression. But when you find someone that votes with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez almost 90% of the time, I mean, Mark, if that's a moderate, that term has no meaning anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a fraud, and that's what these leftists do. They're trying to hold on to these districts that are at least marginally Republican. Tell us about your district. So our district was, has actually been in Republican hands since 1971. It is, an over, it is a Republican district. Even after redistricting, it has been a significantly Republican district. What happened in the midterms in 2018 is they just poured a ton of money into this race. We had a lot of Trump supporters that didn't show up during the midterm. Democrats had record year turnout. And Abigail, if you look at Abigail in her debate, she ran as a, a moderate Republican. But then when she got into office, it's voting with Nancy Pelosi 92% of the time, AOC almost 90% of the time. And she voted for impeachment. Oh, she not only voted for impeachment, she led the charge on it. And here's what I think is so ridiculous about this. Nancy Pelosi used her and her CIA credentials as justification for it. And I've often asked the question, I said, you know, look, I did some intelligence work, too, in special forces. Now, the difference is I actually did mine in a combat zone. And I know this. If I would have gone to my commander and I would have said, I want to overthrow a duly elected leader based off of hearsay information and not a single Mm -hmm. criminal act, they would have committed me. But yet she used her CIA credentials as justification to vote for an impeachment, and it essentially amounted to a show trial. You sound really sharp. Uh, what did you do before also, before you went into the military? I actually enlisted in the military right out of high school. So I served in the 82nd Airborne, the 25th Infantry, wow. um, and Special Forces. The, the, the thing is, is that I, I was always passionate. My mom, my father. By, by the way, that's why you're smart. You didn't go to any Ivy League school. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, no, it's, it, when, when, you, when you brought up with this idea that America provides endless opportunities, but you have to go out and seek them out, um, then that's, that's not a limiting concept. That's an empowering concept. And so, you know, I, I went to college later on in life, but honestly, what, where I really learned a lot was just being able to go on and, and listen to smart thinkers and, and read, you know, from people like Thomas Sowell and Milton Friedman and mm-hmm. Ravi Zacharias. And they just had such an impact on, on my thinking with respect to political philosophy. So what's this race look like? Do you have any polling or do you have any way to judge? There haven't been outside groups really doing polling of this race, and I think that's on purpose because there's a reason why Abigail Spamberger hasn't uh, released any of her internal polling. Bottom line is this is neck and neck. We're, we're absolutely neck and neck right now. Um, we, we've done a good job on our fundraising and our ground game. Our ground game is phenomenal. But the bottom line is she's got, again, she put $10 million just on TV Jeez. between her and outside groups that are just relentlessly attacking us. And so, it, and despite all of that, we're still neck and neck, but it's really about these last couple of weeks going into it and finishing strong. So if people want to help you, Nick, where do they go? They go to nick4va.com. That's N-I-C-K-F-O-R-V-A.com. Nickforva.com, Nickforva.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, you know what we're doing here. Each and every night, we're bringing candidates on who really have a shot at winning their districts, but they're being outspent two, three, four, five to one, and they need help. And some of them need more volunteers in their districts. Nick needs financial help to run some more ads right up to the, uh, up to the end game. So we want to remove Nancy Pelosi. We want to move, remove some of these frauds who are dressed up as moderates. Every single one of these phony moderates voted for impeachment. And that's all you need to know. So it's nickforva.com, N-I-C-K, nickforva.com. Anything else, my friend? 
No, again, thank you very much. This is, like you mentioned, Mark, this is an absolutely a winnable district. We've had it for over 40 years, narrowly won by about 6,000 votes in 2018. This is the year we take it back. And I'm guessing the media in the, uh, in the district is probably for her? They have not been very generous to us, and she refused to debate us. She finally agreed to a forum, which we held last night, and if you watch that forum, you will know exactly why she did not agree to more. Oh, was she kind of messed up? Well, the problem is, is what is she going to run on? Four trillion dollars in tax increases, a, a Biden Green New Deal. I mean, we've got the, the Trump administration lowered taxes, lowered regulations. We saw record unemployment before COVID. The Trump administration is actually achieving peace deals in the Middle East. Democrats can't get a peace deal in Portland. So she doesn't have anything to run on. All right. You sound great. I hope you get in there. Nick Freitas. It's Nick for Virginia.com. Nick for VA. Excuse me. Nick for VA.com. Take care of yourself and good luck. Thank you very much, Mark. And by the way, thank you for your service, too. It's my privilege. God bless. You know who else I'd like to get on this program? The Republican who's running for the Senate in Virginia. I know it's a long shot, but this poor guy's getting beaten up with an enormous amount of money uh, by this fool who is the sitting senator in uh, uh, Warner, in, in Mark Warner in Virginia. Um, so let's go ahead and find him, Mr. Producer. And let's bring him on. He's another war vet who's lost his right leg. Uh, he's really just a very wonderful young man. Uh, this this clown Mark Warner is a liar. He wants everyone to believe that he's responsible for the $2 trillion. Early. Mark Warner does nothing. Nothing. He's a terrific... Uh, this, this up, his opponent is a terrific guy, really. All right, let's see here. Give me a second. I, uh, okay. Marianne in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. How are you? Oh, the Honorable Mark Levin. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I have uh, a question I need to ask you, and um, I have two remarks I need to make about... Uh, We're going to run out of time, so, so focus on your priorities. All right. Um, Chucky Schumer already said everything was on the table. So that means if they pack the courts and if they do the filibuster, the filibuster means they can pass any law they want and mm-hmm. there'll be no due process. And mm-hmm. if they pack the courts, then the courts, the judges will pass whatever they throw at them, whether we like it or not. And if they, um, if they get rid of the Electoral College, then this, this is the last time, 2020, we the people will be able, will be able to vote. We won't be able to... Well, they're, what they're going to do is they're going to do it in pieces, but they're going to immediately change the court. They're going to immediately change all the courts. So anytime you go to court and you try and fight what they're doing, what they're going to do is win. And you can see this in some of these state courts, like the Supreme Court of uh, Pennsylvania and other courts. Then they're going to change the filibuster rule so they can ram through whatever law they want. Then they're going to add a couple of more uh, senators, four, maybe more, to the United States Senate from, from completely Democrat areas. Uh, so they'll control the Senate forever. They'll control the legislation forever. They'll control the courts forever. And so then they're going to go after the Electoral College because you really need to amend the Constitution on the Electoral College. But they'll figure, we don't have to amend the Constitution. We'll find some sly way to do this. And then it'll be upheld by the courts because we own the courts. The country the country's going to be finished. It's literally going to be finished. Now, we'll muscle through here and there and so forth, but they'll have whatever access they want 
to your money. They'll raise taxes. The sky will be the limit. You've got to look at California, New York, New Jersey, places like this, New York City, Los Angeles. It's the same people, the same politicians, the same policies, and they will nationalize them. There won't be any more state sovereignty. There won't be any more uh, of a uh, Tenth Amendment, Bill of Rights. They'll do whatever they wish to do because the Constitution, in many respects, will no longer exist. We'll be in a post-constitutional, post-republic period. We've never as a country been in this kind of a situation, but that's where we're headed. And can you imagine looking back 100 years from now with the, with the totalitarianism and tyranny and looking back that the American people chose a man who's barely coherent, who's barely with us as president, chose a vice president who was the most radical individual in the Senate, uh, turned the House of Representatives over to a meandering, buffoonish woman, an old lady who was nasty as hell, the Speaker, and gave the Senate to Chuck Schumer, who only cares about his own power. He's an absolute ignoramus. That we will have done this to the greatest republic on the face of the earth, not our enemies, not the communist Chinese, not the fascistic uh, Putin, uh, not the Islamo-Nazis in Tehran, and on and on. We will have done this to ourselves and to our children and our grandchildren. This is what concerns me. This is what I look at and say, my God, what the hell's happening to us? And this is why I believe if each and every one of you listening to me, don't just blow me off, please. Can make sure five or ten people in your circle, family, friends, co-workers, whomever the heck they are, make sure they vote. This is all you have to do. It's not D-Day. We're not, we're not rushing the beaches. We're not getting shot at. It's not the Battle of the Bulge. Just get out and vote. It's not enough for you to vote. We've got to get people out to vote. You know, every time we have this national election, we say, oh, 68% of the people voted. Well, we got to make sure we get another 10 or 20% of the people, and they need to be ours. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Now, I am told, and I'm nothing but honest, that that clip that we played of Kamala Harris's husband may have been during the presidential primaries on the Democrat side. If that's true, what a shame. What a shame. It was the perfect, 
the perfect clip. So if that's the case, I guess that her husband isn't married to Joe Biden, Mr. Producer. Well, I mean, if that audio was earlier, it's kind of disappointing to me, Mr. Producer. Very disappointing to me. Louis Farrakhan, what does he have to do with anything? The Federalist. You know, we have some great conservative websites out there. The Federalist is definitely one of them. And Jonathan Tobin's an excellent writer. Less than four months ago, the opinion editor of the New York Times lost his job because he published an op-ed that some newspaper employees claimed made them feel unsafe. The staffers denounced as racist Senator Tom Cotton's appeal to send in the troops to deal with rioting. By the way, I agreed with that and looting in many American cities after the death of George Floyd. New York Times publisher Arthur Sulzberger soon folded and apologized for publishing the op-ed that had been written by Tom uh, Cotton. The opinion editor James Bennett resigned under fire. An editorial note appended to the article said, we failed to offer appropriate additional context and so forth. Well, and now we have other issues. Now we have other issues. Critics of the New York Times have long pointed to its unwillingness to highlight the Holocaust as an important event. Uh, You can mention me, Tobin, since it's been me mostly and primarily, but that's okay. Uh, While it was happening, as well as its equivocal at best approach to covering Israel. 2019, the Times published an editorial cartoon. We know how anti-Semitic that was. Only a few months before that, the paper highlighted novelist Alice Walker, another noted anti-Semite, without asking about her beliefs. It even published a recommendation for readers to embrace the work of noted conspiracy theorist David Icke, who's concerned about the influence of Jews, as well as shaping shifting lizard people. Just as important as the newspaper's growing acceptive as anti-Zionism, a thinly disguised idea that would deny to Jews the right to their Jewish homeland. Yet regular columnists like Michelle Goldberg and recent edition Peter Beinart supporting dismantling these only for Jews. Just as important was last month's Time magazine fawning celebrity interview with Representative Ilhan Omar. In it, she too was given a pass for anti-Semitism, and we know all about her, don't we? Such attacks on Israel and growing intolerance for its ability to sustain itself is integral to the intersectional ideologies part and parcel of the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, unlike far-right white supremacists whose ideas are toxic, but whose numbers and influence remain marginal. Farrakhan, Farrakhan, has a mass following. In a resignation letter from the Times, Barry Weiss noted that prejudice against Jews in Israel become part of the normal discourse at the paper, so at the time anything that questions BLM ideology is inherently suspect and attacks on Israel existence no longer beyond the pale. It's hardly surprising that a pay on to Farrakhan would not raise eyebrows among Times editors. What are you talking about? And it's zeal to embrace radical ideas. Yes. Farrakhan. Embracing Farrakhan? Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. See you tomorrow. Vote, vote, vote. And bring five or ten people with you. It's no joke. See you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.